Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 31st, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I would say we could talk, you know, just about anything, but there's been a lot happening. We have a lot to get to in this episode. So I want to dive right in and ask you about the latest update on Harvard Business School interview invitations. Well, as we mentioned last week, it was probably going to be this upcoming week, and we were correct. It's um, Wednesday the 2nd at noon. They will release interview invites for the round two folks, as well as those folks that were round one pushed to round two. So whatever they called that, whether they called it waitlist or whatever. Further further consideration, I think, yeah. Yeah, further consideration. I love it. <laughs> they will be, um, they'll, they'll get their sort of notification at that point too. And that notification will either be invite to interview um, or, or, you know, no further consideration um, as far as I'm aware. So, so, yeah, no, I mean, you know, and then it'll be the following week and the week after the other big schools that, that do it in, you know, all in one go, they'll, they'll be releasing their interview invites. So it's good to see Harvard doing it. And I like the fact they're doing it all in one go, Graham. Yeah. Um, in, historically, they've they've done it over a couple of days. Uh, I can't exactly remember how they did it last season, but I know in previous seasons over a couple of days. Um, and I'm wondering whether that sort of is a little bit of a signal that there's less applicants in the pool this season or not. I don't know. Yeah. So, you you know, it's funny. I was just about to say that I've had some off the record, you know, conversations with folks at some of these top programs. And my understanding is that volume is a bit light in round two. And so I don't know. I think HBS has tried to move to a one date only for releases for maybe the last year or so. But you're right. There was a time when they you know, they would do one batch the first week and then the week later they would issue the rest of the invites. And um, for one reason or another, they're getting them all out at once this year. But I think, you know, that we are seeing kind of the tail end of that COVID bump and we're back into the normal ebb and flow here with, you know, hot job market. So volume not going to be off the charts for MBA applications, I think. Who have you been talking to off the record, Graham? I can't say. I can't say. <laughs> oh, now, come no, on. But, well, you can, yeah, you can think about where, where I've been and, you know, who I might have talked to, but I can't say on the air here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll see. I mean, this so this might be a good year for people to be applying in the second round. We will see. And even, I mean, I, I we never really recommend this, but, you know, there have been years where even applying in the third round, cannot be a bad idea as long as you're patient and thinking, well, maybe I'll, you know, if I don't get in, I'll just apply first round next year. So um, food for thought there. <laughs> Very good. Over on the website, we've been publishing a lot of stuff. I, I must apologize because I had said that we had ran the last of the real humans stories. And now I don't even know because we ran one on Georgetown McDonough this past week that I had, I already thought we'd um, put that one out there. So I think that's it, but there could be more. I'm not going to go out on a limb anymore. Um, we are working on a new series, which will be, or kind of revisiting another series, which is our Real Humans alumni, and that's going to be fun. That usually comes out more March, April, May. Um, we'll, we'll have those out, and that's where we talk with people who've graduated from all these programs, find out what they're doing. So, so stay tuned for that. Um, Alex, I don't know. I think you saw this because you did chime in over email, but uh, I guess U.S. News ran their online MBA ranking. 
And you know, normally we don't really spend too much time on online MBA stuff because most of our listeners are very focused on full time or in person. Where was Temple ranked, Greg? <laughs> I looked. You know, it's funny. I did look, and they were. Um, I think they're number one hundred. Oh. So they've fallen um, fairly far, but they are back in. Didn't, didn't they? Didn't they used to top that ranking? They did, and then there was a bit of a scandal um, oh. <laughs> where they were cheating on the numbers. So, <laughs> so they are back in it though. Um, but what's funny, and the reason I brought this up on the show is that. There's a three-way tie at the top. You have Indiana Kelly, USC Marshall, and UNC uh, Keenan Flagler. And then you've got Tepper, um, Carnegie Mellon Tepper, um, right after that in fourth place. Um, and then University of Florida in fifth place. And then University of Washington Foster in a tie for fifth as well. So those are the very top schools that I was just noticing that if you look at the very top um, MBA programs in the world, you know, where let's say top 25 US, um, that offer an online MBA, those are the programs, you know, Indiana, USC, UNC, uh, Carnegie Mellon, Washington. So five of the top six on this ranking are from top MBA. And so I guess my, the lesson I'm taking away from this is that if a top 25 MBA program offers an online MBA, they tend to do quite well in these rankings. Um, but I know you were going to ask me about something you think is wrong with this list. <laughs> Where's Ross, Graham? Yeah, I don't know. Where is Ross? They must not have participated is all I can conclude because Ross, uh, Michigan, does offer an online MBA and they're, I didn't see them in the ranking. So I know that if they were in the ranking, we would have seen them. Like there's no way they would be, you know, off the back end of the, <laughs> the ranking or something. So yeah, I don't know what happened. Maybe they just decided not to take part. Um, we'll have to ask those guys because I'm not sure. And this is, this is a beef I have with rankings, right? So I, I forget what the title of their report was or whatever, but if it's best online MBA programs, they need to put a caveat in and say X programs did not participate in this survey. Yeah. Because, you know, clearly, Ross, in your thesis of the, you know, top, top MBA programs that do an online MBA program will end up in the top of the rankings based off of what you've seen. Clearly, Ross is actually in a tier above the programs that you cite in terms of how we look at tiers in, in the full-time market. Sure. So if, if they participated, we would anticipate to see them at number one. Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know, you know, what the deal is. I, I have to read the fine print of the rankings. Maybe there is a little announcement about some schools not participating. I'll, I'll dig into that, but I'm not really yeah. sure what happened yeah. there. So um, the other thing I wanted to point out is that we've run some content on the site about Yale and MIT and, and namely their employment reports. Um, everyone who's been listening over the course of this, you know, application season knows we've been talking about these things and MIT's came out and Alex, um, do you want to guess what the average starting salary for an MIT grad is? 150,000. That's it. Yes. <laughs> what about, what about the average signing bonus? <laughs> 30,000. And do you have any idea what percentage of people might've had offers within three months of graduation? I forget what that number usually is. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's 96%. Nice. So what, what Alex and I are joking here because it's kind of, I mean, you know, where it, it's always the same, it feels like, or, or certainly right around there. So um, we did look at the breakdown. You know, I know everyone likes to kind of get these stats. So if you look at the breakdown of industry placements for MIT Sloan, 28% went into consulting, 25% into tech, 21% into finance, and 10% into pharma slash biotech, and 4% into CPG. So those are the biggest categories. Um, in terms of region they place 40% of their graduates in the Northeast, which is New York to Boston, basically. Um, they place 28% out on the West Coast, and then just little bits in these other areas. So 6% in the Mid-Atlantic, 
6% southwest, 4% south, and 4% midwest. So Alex, any thoughts on MIT's numbers here? Anything jumping out at you? Well, as, as we said before, you came on AgRay and that number for pharma and, and biotech seems pretty pretty good. Yeah, you know, I think they're benefiting from, I mean, they're obviously strong in this domain, but also, you know, geographically, uh, Boston's a real hub for biotech. So I think that's showing up here in the numbers. And we see it with Harvard, too. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but Harvard also has a really high number nowadays with respect to healthcare type placements. So that's interesting just because MIT and Harvard are not schools that we often cite as being, you know, kind of ideal for healthcare management in the sense of, you know, we often talk about Wharton or Kellogg or Duke because they have all these courses, you know, geared around that or even majors. Um, but it is interesting to see these numbers. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, so over with Yale, um, same stuff. Um, so Yale has 140,000 average starting salary, so a little lower than MIT, but they also have that 30,000 uh, <laughs> uh, bonus money. Um, so that's the same, 96% had offers within three months. Uh, for, and these are, I want to remind everyone, this is 96% of people who are looking for a job. Um, and that matters because there's some schools like Stanford where a lot of people are not even looking for work because they're starting something. So just keep that in mind when you look at these numbers. Um, in terms of the, you know, kind of industry placements with Yale, it was 34% to consulting, 25% to finance, 10% to tech. But then they have this other category called retail slash e-commerce, and they have 10% there as well. I have to assume that Amazon and, and Walmart and those folks are in that bucket. Um, and then CPG, 6%. And like MIT, Yale has a pretty heavy concentration in the Northeast with actually 52% of their graduates landing there. 26% go to the West Coast, 8% to the Midwest, 7% Mid-Atlantic, and then 5% Southwest and only 3% to the South. So those are the numbers. Any thoughts on Yale? Yeah, I mean, Yale, again, sends a pretty decent size out to the West Coast, you know, like, like Sloan. So, I mean, certainly in terms of em employment markets, the Northeast and the West Coast are the two premium markets, I suppose, in, in the U.S. Sure. And that that's bear, bears out in a lot of these employment reports. Yeah. And, you know, something that we've been looking at, I know we've mentioned this a couple of times, but we look at all these numbers, you know, across all the schools, across multiple years. And one thing that's jumping out at me as well is, yeah, these American schools, they don't send that many people outside of the United States, which might be good news for internationals who want to stay um, and work in the U.S. But it's just interesting to see. I think HBS might lead the way. Um, I feel like it's less than 10 percent of the student body or somewhere in there that maybe goes elsewhere, um, you know, outside of the U.S. So just interesting to see that as well. Um, but yeah, lots of, lots of fun facts and figures. And stay tuned. We've got more content like that coming up on the site. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that this Wednesday, uh, February 2nd, the very same day that Harvard's releasing their uh, interview invitations, we're doing an event on deferred enrollment MBAs. This is for college students. So if you're in college and thinking that an MBA is in your future, you should definitely come on out. I'm going to sit down with admissions reps from Berkeley, Columbia, Chicago Booth, and Carnegie Mellon Tepper, uh, and just pepper them with questions about their process, their essays, what, what they look for. So that'll be fun. And then we're going to do it all again the following week with Wharton Yale. MIT and Darden. So that'll be fun. You can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash D-E-M-B-A-2-2. Um, and those are numbers, not <laughs> spelling out the letters uh, for 22. Um, other than that, Alex, anything else on your mind? I mean, people can always email us with questions or even post on Livewire as a note, as you reminded people last week. So they can email us at info at 
and you know we'll answer your questions or talk about you on air or whatever you want. Do you do you play Wordly, Graham? Oh, the the Wordle thing. Yeah, Wordle. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. I uh, yeah. On occasion, I have been playing. Yeah. Nice. Um, it seems like everyone is right. <laughs> I got completely stumped today. Oh, I haven't tried today. Got yesterday's in two goes. So I thought I was really super smart today. I got completely stumped. Would you be willing to reveal the first word that you typically use, or do you change it? I change it. Okay. <laughs> is that a tactic? Well, there's supposed to be an ideal first word to get the greatest number of insight. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't, I don't actually know, but my, I'll reveal my strategy because I don't really mind, you know, if our listeners want to, I, I basically use the word adieu because it's got a whole bunch of vowels in it. Um, and I'm, and I, you know, often you'll, because it has, you know, almost every vowel except for O and if you want to count Y, um, it's perfect because you invariably get something. Um, and then my sister was telling me she uses, you know, tries to use the consonants that are very common as well. So she has other words. I can't remember what they are, but, you know, words with S's and R's and, and things that, you know, help as well. But yeah, everyone has their own strategy. Um, but yeah. So two is two your all-time best? I'm assuming you've never gotten it in one. Yes. I've only done it three times. So I was pretty proud of myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But today I gave up after the fourth try. Uh oh. I mean, it's just yeah. <laughs> All right. So well, we'll you know by next week maybe you'll have done a few more and we'll have some more data points um, to see if the two was a fluke or not. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, all right. So let's uh, let's move on, shall we? Yep. All right. Kick on. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be wiretaps candidate number one. So this is an apply wire entry that we received, and it's for someone that's not applying until next year. Um, for now, they've got Harvard, MIT, Stanford, and Wharton on the target list. And this person's been working as a clinical researcher, so they're sort of a science, um, you know, uh, healthcare person. They want to stay. Well, they have a lot of ideas post MBA. One of is one of which is technology. They're also kind of interested in banking or VC or you know any of the kind of finance domains um, and even entrepreneurship. So they're because they're an early bird. They obviously haven't ironed this piece out yet. Um, they haven't taken the GMAT, but they did take a diagnostic test. And on that test, they scored a 690, and they're starting to prep now. And they're very confident that they're going to be able to get like 730 or thereabouts um, on the actual test. Their GPA is a 3.3. They've been working for three and a half years, and they're located in Los Angeles, California. Um, Post-MBA, they're willing to stay on the West Coast or maybe Boston. They're, they're pretty flexible. I think they'll go where the interesting work is. Um, and they did mention they're still in a very elementary phase of research, and they're just trying to figure out if business school is even right for them and what they could do with it. They also did say they're an underrepresented minority. They're actually an immigrant, a political refugee, um, and this is a female candidate as well. The undergrad was in neuroscience from UCLA. Um, they did get some you know, up and down kind of grades in that 3.3, but they had some extenuating circumstances. So Alex, I want you to talk us through this one because she wrote a lot of, I mean, she shared a lot about her background and, and what her thought process has been. But do you want to try to sum that stuff up as we take, you know, kind of go through this candidacy? Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to sum up, right? Because it is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but having said that, I, I guess my first comment, um, Graham, is this is the type of candidate that Adcom love. So, so I get the idea that she's essentially assessing whether an MBA program is the right next step and considering other options because she just doesn't really know. Adcom needs to help her think this through because 
we in the MBA industry should want this type of candidate in, in terms of my point of view. Um, so, you know, what do we have here? We have, you know, someone that's obviously come from some, some pretty difficult circumstances. Um, they're immigrant, refugee, um, and, you know, so, so, so that tells a piece of the story. Um, that did affect some of their undergraduate performance because they had to do, you know, the, there was some issues with family during undergrad and so on and so forth. But they ended up with a 3-3 GPA. They went on to, a, a, they did another course, I think, um, subsequent to that to, uh, um, you know, and, and, and they did quite well. Um, they've been really involved um, in terms of extracurriculars, um, as well as now supporting communities, understanding the importance of education and so on and so forth. Um, so there's lots to like there. They've gone off into a research role, um, you know, so they're, they're sort of clinical research. Um, but having said that, they've got sort of people management, they've got other you know, project management where they've really driven a really important COVID-19 project to fruition. They, they, to me, honestly, Graham, it sounds like they've done a lot of really good stuff. And what they're trying to figure out now is how can they have a better impact uh, rather than having an impact as a researcher and recognising that the, you know, with all this sort of misinformation and disinformation out there, how difficult it is for researchers to get their point of view across. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's get onto the business side of, 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 of medicine or, or whatever it is and have a much bigger impact. So I think that makes perfect sense. And the key is how can she navigate that transition i.e. is the MBA programme the best route to do that? And I'm a huge fan of the MBA programme, so I hope that she ultimately decides that we are the best route to do that. Mm -hmm. What she needs to do is really think about, all right, what is the pathway immediately after the MBA? And what is my long-term goal? Where do I see myself in 10 or 15 years? Um, and so forth. And she has, you know, several months to really figure that out. But I'm hoping that the time that she applies, Graham, she will have a thoughtful um, post-MBA set of goals. She will have a good GMAT score. She took a test just to see how it would go. She got a 690 with very little prep. Um, so that would suggest to me that she's going to do well on the GMAT. She can overcome the slightly lower GPA with, with the context that she can provide. Her personal story is fantastic. She, but to me, Graham, I, I, I would think the Adcom at the very best schools would really want to nurture this candidate and, and get them to apply to their programs. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think um, the thing for me is that she's got to figure out what's the path, you know, what, what is the pathway? Yeah. Because um, as of now, she's a little all over the map in terms of, you know, thinking through what are the potential post MBA jobs. And, you know, so she's got some finance stuff. She's got, you know, maybe tech. And, and so it's it sort of, I would love to hear a, a very kind of crisp 
story, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do consulting with a healthcare pharma biotech focus. And then I'm going to ideally get into a senior leadership role in one, in industry, in one of those companies and, you know, lead it to do, like you said, to, to sort of find different ways to convey information about health. And, um, you know, there are just so many ways she could do this, but I just, I want to kind of, um, a path from her. And the other thing I was thinking, she did talk about VC and this desire to sort of invest in and nurture, um, you know, kind of organizations that can impact this kind of change or enact this kind of change. And so that's possible too. I just, we know that, you know, it's harder to get into VC straight out of business school, particularly if you don't have any finance background. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards a consulting or maybe a straight into the healthcare domain, but on the business side path for her. Um, the one thing I wanted to mentioned to you is, I don't know if you recall, but some time ago we did an episode where I interviewed a couple of folks, I think, um, from Harvard about their new MBA, MS in biotechnology and life sciences. And I sort of wondered, like, you know, she has the neuroscience undergrad. I wonder if this joint degree would be a smart move for her if she wants to stay in that domain of kind of, you know, um, life sciences. So I don't know, just not sure it's on her radar, but it's one that I would look into because as we said earlier, you know, Harvard's placing a lot of people into healthcare. Obviously Wharton has the healthcare management program. Um, we just learned that MIT sends a lot of people into that domain. But again, it sounds like she needs to think through what she wants to do and whether that's the right path. But I firmly agree with you that, you know, the MBA is a great flexible degree that would allow her to do any number of things. So it seems like she is finding the right place here, but she's got some work to do in terms of the goals. And, and, you know, she obviously needs to get a high test score and all the other stuff, but I really like her story and I agree with you. They're going to be rooting for her. Yeah. I, uh, obviously we, we're on the same page here. I think it's a great comment about the Harvard program with biotech. Um, any top program is going to allow her to do some really interesting things. I think the other thing that I see in her sort of thread of, of what she's thinking of doing is she obviously um, feels passionate about giving back to underserved communities or, right. or communities that have been discriminated against or however you want to put it. And, and I think that's very noble. And I think she's, she's, she does a lot of work in her extracurriculars uh, and volunteer activities doing that now. I just wonder if that's getting a little bit conflated with her long-term ambitions and goals. Um, I think she can still serve underserved communities in her sort of personal time while still um, pursuing, you know, a really strong career on the business side in pharma and biotech without necessarily that career only focusing on underserved communities. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Is she can come across as being very strong in, in both domains. She can choose that she only wants to serve underserved communities with her business experience, but she shouldn't think that she can, that's her only sort of positioning strategy in that long run, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was a lot written here by her. And I, I think yeah, at some points I was thinking, wow, this is getting sort of narrow in terms of like what, what might be available to her and whether the school, you know, yeah. I think, um, I actually recorded a podcast the other day with the, um, the, a guy who leads career services and admissions at SMU Cox, his name's Jason Reif. And, and we were talking and I was asking about career goals and it's an episode that's all about kind of goals and, and like, what, what do you do with your career goals? And, um, and he was telling me, he's like, you know, 
I want to know the zip code, but I don't need the street address. You know, and so sometimes when people get so into the weeds, it can start to feel constricting, you know, like, so, so anyway, just in terms of their goals, you know, like what they need to do. Um, so we'll, we'll see, but, uh, I think she's, you know, again, could be a really great candidate and I think has come to the right place in terms of the MBA. So I want to wish her the best of luck. <laughs> yeah. And, and- and maybe uh, if these M- top MBA programs are doing programs over the summer to sort of, you know, prep folks, you know, sign up for those webinars. Yeah. Get some face time with, with, you know, what's going on. Because, again, if this candidate comes across as with a well-executed uh, application, I'd be shocked if she's, if she's not... Um, in a top business school in in the following season. Yeah, agreed. And the last thing I will say about her is that she seemed to wonder whether or not the admissions teams would, you know, kind of value the clinical research side and and her work in that domain. And I think that's going to be terrific. Like I really, she's worked in teams, she's had some leadership opportunities. And so I think that's all going to be great. And she shouldn't worry about that. In fact, I think it's going to be really valued as sort of somewhat different from the usual candidate, but very, you know, obviously really with a great ability to contribute in the classroom. So um, all right, let's let's move on. I want to thank her for her post. Wish her the best of luck. She can keep us posted um, as, you know, as things evolve. But let's talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry, and it looks like this person is also an early bird, um, focusing on next season, which is going to be more and more common, you know, now that we're kind of past round two deadlines for this year. Um, this person's applying to, they want to apply to Berkeley, Columbia, Harvard, INSEAD, LBS, Oxford, Stanford, and Wharton. They've been working in venture capital, uh, and they also did some strategy and operations, it sounds like with big tech and a Series A startup. They would love to get into either consulting or tech, maybe even entrepreneurship after business school. And they list a whole bunch of companies that are targets, which include BCG and McKinsey, but also include Gusto, Intuit, Coursera, um, Policy Genius, so some smaller players um, in the tech side. They have a GRE score of 326, and they have a GPA of 2.3. They've been working for eight years. They're located in South Africa, and they would love to land in either the US or the UK after business school. Specifically, they talked about, oh, New York or Atlanta or London. Um, so um, in terms of the rest of it here, we'll get into it, but you know, they, they seem like they're still ironing out their goals. Um, and they did explain that the undergrad, there were some extenuating circumstances, which I'll let you speak to, Alex, but they also, I guess, have since pursued two postgraduate programs, and I'm not really sure if that means degree-granting postgraduate or just sort of courses. It's, it's unclear. They have a 3.7 in info systems and a 3.3 in financial planning. And again, I don't know if those are just like sort of certificates or degrees, um, but we'll get into it. So what, what do you make of this candidate? Again, another early bird. Uh, the GPA obviously jumps off the page at me, and then, you know, they obviously are still fig- figuring out their career plan. Yeah, I don't get it, honestly, Graham. Um, and, and as I said to this candidate, and, and you mentioned before we came on air, it's very rare I'd make the recommendation that they really should work with an, an admissions consultant. Um, and yeah, I don't think I've ever said that on, a, on this podcast. Not that I don't like admissions consultants. Obviously, we work with them and, and their colleagues. But th- this person has a very sort of... Uh, bipolar sort of candidacy as it were i mean that that's probably the wrong term but but 
but you know there's seems to be a lot a lot to like here from the work experience standpoint right um they've done it sounds like really interesting stuff in the sort of vc um entrepreneurial sort of world sort of invest investing but then going into the operations side doing some really super good things right yeah um so if if you married that with a strong academic record the fact that they're from south africa and and some other stuff you'd be like yes absolutely belongs in a top program boom they will eat up this candidacy right but then you marry that with a 2.3 GPA, and that's a conversion. So we don't know exactly what this GPA is. Then, yeah, that would be at the extremely low end of a range for a top program, if within the range at all. Right. Now, they've done a couple of additional pieces of coursework. Like you, I'm not quite clear what that means, but obviously the adcom reading it would be able to assess that. Um, the GRE is okay, right? It's probably above average for the top programs, a little bit. Um, so, but but again, not enough for me to mitigate that GPA. Right. And what troubles me a little bit, I, I understand the GPA on that. On the one hand, that they had to work to finance their undergraduate studies because you know not everyone has the resources to you know go. Go to, go to school and, and focus only on their studies and their outside activities. but so, so they had to work, I get that. But they were also heavily involved in extracurriculars. That sends a little bit of an alarm bell to me, Graham, because if you're heavily involved in extracurriculars whilst your GPA is tanking, what does that say about your priorities? And, and how are you going to come to my MBA programme do really well in the classroom, get really involved outside the classroom whilst also getting recruited. So so that's why at the end of the day, Graham, because this person has such fantastic experiences, I really suggest they work with someone that's really intimately familiar with the industry, i.e. an admissions consultant, and get this story um, ironed out. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I'm very puzzled. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that... Um... It's tricky, the GPA thing, because you don't want to send the wrong message. And, and you're right, business school has so many things on offer. I guess the best approach would be, you know, it, and again, they're not applying till next fall, so they have a little time. Yeah. But the best approach would be writing an optional essay. They explain the additional coursework they pursued where they have good marks. They explain that they were a bit immature while they were an undergrad and they sort of took on too much and ended up getting, you know, distracted by, by extracurriculars and that, you know, later in life, they now have the maturity. Remember, this is an older candidate. They've been working for eight years. I agree. The work experience, which we didn't get into too much, is very impressive. I mean, they've done a lot of really interesting things across uh, South Africa and even, I think, more broadly in Africa. So there's, there's a lot to like, but they have this sort of um, GPA, GPA problem. And I, I would actually argue that you know, 326 is good on the GRE. You're right. It's it's just at or slightly above average at some of these top programs. I would, you know, if they felt like they could get a 330 or something, you know, why not take a few months here, get it, knock it out. And that would be another, uh, you know, kind of, um, I guess, just another argument they could make for against that GPA, right? So just to balance things. Um, the other thing, though, is I just want to read, you know, they, they mentioned in the comments, they wrote, Post-MBA plan to move into product marketing or management at fintech or edtech company 
or venture architect at BCG Digital Ventures, right? So I don't know about you, but I have trouble parsing that sentence. And I, and I think that, you know, they need to kind of find a focus, right? Because fintech and edtech are not the same thing, right? They're really different. Um, and then being a venture architect at BCG Digital Ventures, you get back into, wow, that's like the street address on the career plan. It might be too detailed for me um, in terms of like, wow, they're putting all their eggs in a basket or something. So they just need to kind of iron this stuff out and get a very clear career plan in place. Uh, and yeah, cause I just, I left after I read all the comments and they, they did furnish us with a fair amount of information, but I was just sort of confused. And I agree with you that, yeah, they should give, you know, Stacey Blackman a call. That's, that's the firm that we tend to recommend and work with, but it would help them, I think, to sit down with someone who can hear their story yeah. and, and help them to kind of lay out a, a plan. <laughs> so, um, would you, would, would you recommend they do MBA math or HBS core as a program like that? Yeah, that's a good point. I think I would like to know more about what they did, what those two postgraduate, um, courses or, you know, what are, are they degrees? Are they courses? Cause if, if that was like super rigorous and there was a lot there, maybe it would be enough, but if not, I agree. MBA math or HBS core online would be really smart. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I want to thank that person for sharing. I know we're, you know, we're being a little bit harsh, but I just, they have time. And so I feel like, I hope that our message here is a good, um, gives them some good, you know, next steps to follow as they sort of get, you know, get this all ironed out and ready, get ready to apply. Yeah. I mean, the point here is, you know, if, if you have such great work experience and great potential, which this candidate appears to have, don't don't underestimate how much that 2.3 GPA is going to hold you back. So do everything that you can now over the next several months right. to, to overcome that. And again, maybe working with an adcom consultant or whatever is the best path to, to really yeah. um, get this story straightened out and, and get the career goals focused and, and so on and so forth. Because there is... There's so much to like in, let's say, half of this candidacy. Right. <laughs> we need to fix the other half. Yeah. And the last thing I want to mention is, as a rule, most of the top schools don't want you to convert your GPA. They will. They want. They just want the raw data, and they will convert it because they have their own way of looking at things. So I think I want to encourage this person because at some point they said, "Oh." Two, three is what I am estimating on the low end. I don't want to overestimate it because it, you know, they're like, oh, it could be as much as two, eight, but I don't know. And I wanted to come in low. I would say just give them the raw data um, because most schools will not ask you to convert. Or if they do, they're asking you to use an official service that will help with that. So yeah, I just want to mention that for our listeners because that's an important point that we, we kind of skimmed over. Yeah. So yeah, class class rank can be an important data point. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, let's, let's move on. But I want to thank that person for their post and yeah, wish them the best of luck as they embark on their journey here to apply. Um, let's talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. And we've got to be brief on this one, Graham. <laughs> so this, this is a decision wire entry that we received, and it's from an undecided candidate, as we often um, focus on here. They basically have been accepted to Cornell with $80,000 and to Darden with no money. Uh, they're entering, you know, this fall, they want to do consulting. They talk about MBB, although they do mention that they might also be interested in banking. Uh, the GMAT was a 710, which if you'll recall from last week, we had all these conversations, is a 710 good enough to get into a top school? Well, clearly, you know, here they have two offers and even some money with a 710. Uh, and they just, they, they make this statement, which is they say they want to get into the best program. They're from Asia. They've paid a deposit for Cornell because it was due. Um, and they've been recently promoted at work. They said they requested Darden 
for a scholarship. Like they reached out to say, gee, I got 80, 80. Well, they didn't say the number, but they said that they just told them that they had an offer from another school and a scholarship. And they're wondering if Darden can do anything, but they did not say what school or the amount. <laughs> um, so we'll get into it. But what do you make of this dilemma on the part of this candidate? Yeah, I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, but a couple of uh, Elliot, our colleague, um, responded, and and uh, yeah, another another person um, responded um, on Applywire and gave this candidate lots and lots of terrific advice um, that basically amounted to who knows, right? Cornell with eighty grand versus Darden with no money. That's pretty close, sort of fair um, set of offers. You can argue that Darden might be slightly have the edge over Cornell sort of generally in terms of tiers, but then overseas, maybe the Cornell brand is a little bit stronger because it's an Ivy school. Um, but then you look at Darden, if you want consulting, the case method is great training ground for that. Um, so it's very important. But then if they're hedging with a little bit of investment banking, then Cornell steps up to the plate a little bit. So, I mean, they, this is such a, again, the reason why they're undecided is quite obvious. These are too um, evenly matched, especially when you add a little bit of money on the Cornell side. Their negotiation strategy certainly could have been improved, probably. <laughs> I don't know how they can go back now and then reveal the other school and the amount, but typically that's what you would do. But then not make it a, what can you offer me? But it's more about, you know, I'd love to come to your program, but unfortunately my finances do dictate that I've got to go for the, for the, for the better, better offer or something, you know, using that as the argument a little bit more than just, you know, they're offering me this, so what can you offer me? Mm. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're two great programs, Graham. Yeah. They're two, they're, they're going to give them their short-term goal or they, they're going to provide them plenty of access to opportunities for their short-term goal. I think some of it's going to boil down to their long-term, where, where they want to be in the long-term, the importance of that 80 grand. And, and they said actually for themselves personally, that's quite important because, you know, Different folks have different sort of, um, you know, you know, 80 grand for me might be very different to 80 grand to you, for example, because, you, you, you know, we've got different family situations and stuff. So, sure. um, so we all get that. But, yeah, it's a difficult, um, difficult one. This one, Graham, they could go either way. Yeah, I think um, it, it. Yeah, I, I really go back to the fact that they're, you know, from Asia, maybe we'll return they did talk about that Ivy League kind of network. And, and I, I actually think that, you know, Cornell and Darden are not so different. I mean, I think, you know, you could argue, like you said, that Darden's a little bit ahead of Cornell in many of the rankings. But you throw in $80,000 and suddenly, I mean, that's a, that's actually a decent amount of scholarship. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a, at least more than a year of tuition or so. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that... Um, I'm a little confused by the fact that this person wants to maybe do MBB or investment banking. So I, I don't know. And then the last thing I want, I feel like we have to bring up is they had this line in their note where they said, Oh, you don't need to bring that up. Gray. Oh, no, no, uh, no, no. Okay. All right. All right. I, I mean, gonna... <laughs> you bring it up. That's perfectly well. Now you're going to have to. Yeah. I know. I was going to talk about how they, they mentioned that, you know, if they want to recruit for iBanking, they're going to have to go from Ithaca down to New York a lot and that they, they don't like taking the bus. They said they hate the smell of the bus. So then, you know, obviously um, I want to give a shout out to one of our users who goes by the handle Anon10646. Um, it's a three-starred user because they're often um, 
posting great content and they get a lot of likes. And so I think most of our listeners know if you if you write on the site and you get um, likes on the things you write, then you earn these stars. So this person's, I presume, from last season and they're um, giving great advice. So I just want to mention that to them in case they're tuned in. But yeah, there was a lot of exchanging back and forth about how, you know, gosh, there's going to be lots of people driving down to New York. Um, you know, you maybe jump in a car instead of on the bus. But in any event, um, yeah, just was kind of a, a funny point that I wanted to, to mention because I would not base the decision around that. I really think they need to think about where they're going to fit, um, what that money might do for them in terms of, you know, I mean, gosh, they could, uh, you know, spend a lot of time in New York with that extra $80,000 if they needed to. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a tough call, but I, I feel like they're doing their due diligence for our listeners benefit. I would say traditionally, if you're in this situation, you write to Darden and you say, I have an offer from Cornell with $80,000. Here's the offer letter. I really want to go to Darden. I love the case method. I'm going to do consulting, whatever they might say about what they are really passionate about for Darden, if that's the goal here. And and that gives the committee all the information they need. Right now, I feel like the committees, they don't know maybe you know where this person has an offer from and how much it is. So I, I worry that that's going to result in Darden coming back without much money, but we'll see. I guess they'll keep us posted. Very good. Very good. So I know we're running long here this week, so we'll wrap up, but thanks for picking these out, Alex. There was a lot of good advice as always, or or good kind of quandaries that we had to sort of dive into. Hopefully the advice was good. We'll see. Uh, But I'll, I'll see you in one week's time. We'll do it all over again. Brilliant. Take care, everyone. Best of luck. Stay safe.